Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So in a world where you can feel so disconnected from nature and the earth under your feet and having purpose, like when I run, I feel so connected to the world around me. Welcome to the Adventure Podcast and episode 74 with Megan O'Neill. Megan is an Irish singer-songwriter who's open for Sir Tom Jones as well as performing with The Lighthouse Family and Jamie Cullum. Her love of music has led her on numerous adventures from arriving in Nashville, fresh out of university, to performing at private Oscars parties in LA. In this episode, Megan talks about how pushing herself physically is integral to her songwriting and how she's always exploring and trying to understand the world around her, whether it's through trail running or by writing her next album. Before we begin, I wanted to mention again our new charitable partnership with the Martin Moran Foundation that I mentioned in detail in the introduction to episode 73 with Emily Penn. You can find that more information at the start of that episode or on our Instagram channel at The Adventure Podcast. Okay, over to Megan O'Neill. I guess it would be a good place. Um, good place to start would be to just introduce yourself. Who are you? What do you do? Sure. So I am Megan O'Neill. I'm an Irish singer-songwriter, and I currently live in Ireland. I was abroad for a good seven years. Um, and I've been back here now for two. And um, I suppose I'm on this podcast for more than just the music side of things. <laughs> um, I'm mad into the outdoors. I love everything fitness and um, everything to do with, I suppose, just like moving and challenging my my body and feeling alive as, as much as I can and as often as I can. Nice. That's a lovely way to start. Um, <laughs> so what were you like as a child? Um, I grew up in <laughs> I grew up in a family where my dad was like in the army. So, you know, he would like we always laugh about it now. There's five kids in my family and we were all mad into we are all mad still into fitness and we all do, you know, everything from being really into the gym to being like my brother played played professional rugby to my other brother did Ironmans like we're all big into to sports across the board and I think it's because growing up my dad would literally be like a drill sergeant 
and we'd be out in the back garden and he'd be like making us run laps. And I don't, maybe it was just to tire us all out, but there was a massive amount of just, he probably thought we were his troops. And like, <laughs> I remember going and like running with my dad when I was, I actually, okay. So when I was 12, um, when I was younger, I sprinted like hundred meter sprint. But then what happened when I hit puberty was everybody got quite tall and I didn't. <laughs> so I was like, right, the hundred meter sprint's not for me anymore. But I remember when I was 11 or 12, getting into like the All-Ireland. So I won out in my county and I got into the All-Ireland sprint and we were in um, the south of France or something on holidays. And like a normal family holiday would be, you know, everybody chilling by the pool. Like I was a kid, should have been allowed to chill by the pool. We trained twice a day, every day. <laughs> Me and my dad. I was like, <laughs> so no wonder we all got into sports after. Um, but yeah, we were, we were all put through our paces as kids and, and up until recently enough, my dad was still at it. So. <laughs> Bloody hell. So with a drill sergeant father, how did you end up getting into music? Oh, he wasn't very happy with that. Um, <laughs> I think I, my mom is a musician, so that's kind of where that came from. She never did it professionally, but, um, we always joke that like everybody in Ireland, like you'd be in a pub and you'd be all sitting around having a chat and someone will just pull a violin out of their handbag. It's like everybody plays an instrument and there's always, you know, in every family, it seems, or in most for certain, um, somebody's big into music or somebody's playing an instrument, if not everybody. So my mom grew up, um, beautiful singer and guitar player and, um, so I would have grown up with a huge love for music and then that just grew and grew and grew. And, um, when I went, I went to college at, uh, after school, obviously at 18 and going to college in Ireland, like third level education is free. So my parents were like, look, go get a real degree. You know, uh, <laughs> music isn't a real degree, of course. And, uh, so I went and I studied psychology. And then when I graduated, I was like, see ya, I'm off to Nashville. And my parents were like, well, she did do what, you know, <laughs> what we asked her to do. Um, but it's funny, like my parents are both very stubborn, bullheaded people. And I suppose we all got that as kids. So they can't, they've nobody to blame but themselves. Like we're all very <laughs> sure of what we want and who we are. And, and uh, that definitely comes from them. So why did you go to Nashville? Um, for me, like I grew up loving storytelling and it, particularly in like Irish folk music and Americana music and, you know, everything from Fleetwood Mac to Joni Mitchell, Carol King, Billy Joel. And, you know, for me, the best storytellers seem to be based in Nashville, like a lot of those songwriters that were writing for folk and country and Americana, they were, they were there. So I was like, if I really want to become a better songwriter and, and learn more about this craft, like how can I, I've been writing songs since I was, you know, 14 or 15 or probably even younger. Cause I have books of poetry from when I was a kid. Like, I don't even know 
they're all absolutely hilarious when you go through them you're like writing about my dog or kids at school or whatever you know but I was always big into the stories and so I kind of felt like if I really wanted to to hone that craft Nashville was where I was going to do that so I ended up going on you know speaking of adventure hilarious going on like a a one-way flight um I knew nobody there I had never been to Nashville I and I was coming from doing quite well in Ireland in terms of like I was big into musical theater as a teenager and so everything I went for I kind of got um and when you get when you're on that trajectory of thinking you know, whatever, whenever you throw your hat in, you're probably going to get what you want. Um, it makes you think that's always going to happen. <laughs> and then you go to somewhere like Nashville and it's a real eye opener. It's a very humbling experience because you're like, oh, wow, I have a lot to learn. So that's kind of what happened. And I ended up being there for the guts of two years and it was amazing. Um, it was a steep learning curve. And an awful lot of, uh, I suppose, growth and development as an artist and as a person took place there. Um, And then I moved to London after that just to batter myself further in the music industry and (laughs) throw myself in the deep end. Uh, But yeah, it was, I mean, both places were were amazing places to be as an artist and collaborate and, and create and and understand the industry from so many different angles. It sounds like a proper adventure though. Getting on a plane at what would you be, 21-ish? Yeah. I mean, that's fairly bold, no? Oh yeah, cheese it was. And I remember like getting there, I rented a room on Craigslist, which I later found out was a bit dodge. And I also was like staying out of town. <laughs> in a place that I later found out was also kind of like the ghetto and I didn't know any of this I was like I just googled like room available to rent in Nashville but I got really lucky um I ended up renting um off this wonderful human being like it's the only way do you know the way some people in life are just amazingly generous and like I would hope that I would be able to give that back one day. But um, I rented a room off this guy who is just an absolute angel. And I got there and he lived in the house as well. There was like five people living there. And he was like, so, you know, what are you here for? What are you doing here? Blah, blah, blah. It's here to write songs. I'm going to, you know, try and meet people, that kind of thing. And he was like, how are you going to get around? I was like, well, like walk or get a bus or whatever. He was like, um... (laughs) Like, you can't really get around Nashville in that way. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> it's like, just American cities are not, a lot of American cities are not really set up for that. So he gave me a car, like gave me a vehicle for my first three months out there. And I'd never, like I'd driven on the right side of the road um, when I was over in America for like a summer in college. I'd lived in Chicago for a few months. But like, I don't know if I would have trusted me with my vehicle, like with, you know what I mean? Like this Irish girl never driven on the right side of the road, really. And uh, he was like, I'll just take you out and, you know, show you. 
And I'll never forget it because I was driving this little Jeep and I was just like, what, like, what is this place? Like six lane highways and stuff. You're just like, oh my God. Coming from like Irish country roads, which are like basically one lane should be two. Um, so I got really fortunate with the people that I met along the way. And um, that really carved that journey for me. And yeah, it was amazing. Definitely some really challenging times, some really lonely times. Um, but overall Nashville was, ah, unbelievable place to go as a, as a musician or a music lover. That's interesting. So why was it lonely? I think it was my first time being that far away for that kind of prolonged period of time. And also the music industry is an awful lot of falseness which um, people don't talk about because they want to portray that falseness a lot of the time. <laughs> but it's a lot of like pretending you know what you're doing and at 21, you don't. Like I had no idea what I was doing. And I like I was really fortunate in that I ended up knowing one person in Ireland who knew one person in Nashville and that one person in Nashville ended up being like a huge record executive and knew everybody and I found myself in these wonderful like circles of songwriters and amazing rooms and working with phenomenal people and sitting in on sessions and recording sessions myself and like it was amazing but I I wasn't close to anybody there like out of the people I got to know there I knew them for a month or two months or three months but none of them were like close friends people that I could rely on people that I could turn to to be able to go for a cup of coffee and talk about something that wasn't music. And I think that's the thing about Nashville is it's you're always on. Even if you go out for dinner or for a drink, you're always on. You're always networking. You're all, Or certainly I was then. I'm not saying it's the same way now when I go back because it's not always. But I had no idea what I was doing. I was really trying to figure out, A, who I was and what I wanted. And B, did I actually want to do this? Did I really want to dive into music and do this for the rest of my life? And was I willing to make the countless sacrifices that you have to make to do this? And then also questioning, like, am I good enough? Like, I'm in with people who are amazing every day. You walk into any bar in Nashville and everyone's just phenomenal. And you're like, have I got this in me to, like, compete? And then you're a day away from all the people that you know and love. So there were an awful lot of, of uh, elements that contributed to, to feeling a bit lost and lonely during that period. But I think it was, um, it helped me to develop a very thick skin. And, you know, as did all of the years after that <laughs> in the industry, because um, you need that. You need to be able to accept rejection pretty much every day. Um, so I think it was definitely, it was the start I needed. I wonder if I'd moved anywhere else, would I have kept going? Yeah. I was going to ask how you coped. I ran a lot, actually. <laughs> um, 
which is still my coping mechanism. Uh, I love running and I, I got into running with my dad when I was really quite young, as I told about the <laughs> sprints on holidays. Um, but me and my dad used to go out running a lot. Um, there's a place near us called the Curra Plains, which is actually where the army, ba- army base camp is based in Ireland. And it's only like 20 minutes from, from where I grew up. And we would go out there running all the time. And then I suppose I got into that more and more and I got into long distance running more and more. So there's all these beautiful parts of Nashville if you kind of get outside the city a bit, like Percy Warner Park or Percy Priest Lake, which is the other way. And you just got these giant trails. And even though I grew up on the edge of the Wicklow Mountains, which is beautiful, it's now my favorite place in the world to run. I hadn't really run there until I hadn't really run any trails until I went to Nashville. And Americans are big into their trail running, which I didn't really I'd done road running and then I got there and I was like, oh my God, I can go and run on these trails. And and I, I don't know if other people feel this. I don't feel like I've talked about um, running that much with other runner lovers, but um, when I run trails, I feel like I'm flying because it's not like when I run roads, I get bored. When I run trails, I'm constantly like jumping from side to side and avoiding a tree trunk and jumping off a rock. And like, it's, it's, you're so unbelievably present trail running. And I did a, like, that was where I got into that was out there. I used to go off, you know, Nashville, um, songwriting, you do two sessions a day. So you do a 10 AM session and you do 10 till two and then you do another one from like three till six or whatever. And you will write a song in every single one of those sessions. You will walk out with a fully formed, completed song. And that's just how it works. And in Nashville, they schedule creativity, which is amazing. Amazing. Best lesson I ever learned as a songwriter was to schedule when I write. Because waiting for create or waiting for creativity to strike is like, it's, it's never going to strike as, as much as you need it to. <laughs> and so um, that was one of the greatest lessons I learned out there. But I would try and schedule my runs around that time. So I'd like wake up early and go, I'd go out and run or I'd, um, I'd kind of do it between sessions or whatever. Um, and it just kept me, I suppose focused on why I was actually there and what I actually wanted from the experience because I could wake up being like, what am I doing? Like this is, I am never going to be good enough to do this. It's going to take me 10 years to be a good enough songwriter to put out any sort of decent music. And, you know, all of the doubts and all of the insecurities and all of the questions you ask yourself when you try and do something difficult. Um... And I would go for a run and I would come back and I would feel on fire. Like I could do anything for the day and whatever it was, I could, I could manage it. And I still have that. And I, sometimes I forget how important running is to me. And then I get injured. And when I get injured, I am an absolute grump 
I actually am not a good person to be around. <laughs> I'm like, so I, I just, I get stressed. It like really builds up in me. And then I forget that the reason it's building up in me is because I can't go out for a run um, or do something. Like even if, you know, I've, I sprained my ankle a month ago because I was training to do the Wicklow Way, which is this 130 kilometer run in Wicklow. Um, and I was running up the Wicklow Mountains and I went over on my ankle really badly, the same ankle I've sprained now three times. <laughs> and uh, I, yeah, I've like had a had a month where I couldn't really run. So I just tried to reconstruct and just do loads of upper body in the gym. And at least if I can do something, I'm, it like levels me a little bit, but nothing will clear my head and, and make me more creative, more focused, more calm, de-stressed. Nothing will do that for me like running. And do you know why that is? I'm assuming some form of endorphins. <laughs> I don't I know really is, is that why <laughs> I don't know I think it's different for everyone I mean I totally know what you you know my plan after you know we finish recording this is I'm going for a run with my dog in the woods I me too <laughs> um and you know I know why I need it and you yeah. you clearly know why you need it but what always I find it incredibly interesting. Like, why does it do that to us? Is there something primal within us that just loves, you know, not having any responsibility other than not falling over and sprinting or jogging slowly, in my case, through amazing terrain? I, yeah, I mean, I signed up for my first marathon um, when I was 23, 24. Um, and there's a bit of a backstory behind that period of time, which we can get into. But I read a book at the time when I first started my training called Born to Run. Have you read that book? I have not. Oh, my God. Okay. You need to. It is, it, it, it completely, like, it's one of the best books I've ever read. But it talks about why we run. Like, why as human beings, we are just it's what we're born to do and all these tribes around the world that like still there's a tribe in the book which I'm probably going to pronounce wrong but I think it's the Tarahumara tribe which are in South America and they run like 200 miles in a pair of sandals made out of rubber tires um like daily like just like that's what they do that's how they get around and he talks about, I won't give you, I won't give the book away, but it's amazing and I'd highly recommend. Um, but he talks about like when, you know, back in hunter gatherer days before we had weapons, we outran the animal because we, an, an animal can't run and breathe at the same time. And we can, so there's definitely something primal in it. And I don't know, it's, I feel so in a world where you can feel so disconnected from nature and the earth under your feet and having purpose like when I run I feel so connected to the world around me and I that feeling of being like um beaten by nature (laughs) 
when I can't get up a mountain and I can't, you know, get from A to B because it's too far and I'm exhausted and that, that like respect for nature and like, I don't know, there's so much in it for me, I think that I, that I just, particularly after living in a city for, for years, living in two cities for years, um, I, and my boyfriend slags me about it all the time because I will literally walk into a place of nature and I will shut my eyes and I will open my arms out wide and I will just breathe. And I am, I will never, I never take it for granted. Um, no matter where I am, it's like, and I also run the same routes pretty regularly and I still do that. I stop and I take the same pictures. <laughs> like I just am obsessed with, with what I get to be surrounded by. And I, you know, funnily enough my mom does the same thing so I don't think I'll ever lose it <laughs> well that's interesting so you're content continually moving around the same area yeah even though even though as a musician that's the opposite of what I do you know I, I'm touring all the time well obviously not through a pandemic but you know I'm going back into it now shows are starting again in a few weeks and I'm going to be on tour again all over the world. And, um, but I, I love coming home. Like I love Ireland. Oh my God. I just love it so much. And I love where I live and I'm, I'm like five minutes drive from this incredible lake called Blessing and Lakes, which is just like trails everywhere. You can run forever. And I love going out with my dog and just, like walking and hiking and running and um that for me is like yeah it's a, it, it's a it's funny because when I tour and I'm on stage that's a version of me that is so unbelievably happy like when I'm on stage I am the ha like I am, I don't know, I'm, I'm version A of Megan. That's the happiest version A of Megan could ever be. I feel so at home. I feel so filled with joy. But version B of Megan is the happiest version she could be when she's in nature. So it's like there are two different sides of me that, um, <laughs> that are kind of polar opposite, really, because... When I tour, I don't get to do that. Now, I do try and plan a run like almost every day when I'm on tour, but it can be hard sometimes when you have massive long drives and you have to get to another venue by a certain time or whatever. But um, I do try and plan as much outdoors time when I'm on tour as possible because otherwise I go bananas if I don't get enough like time outside. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm very content at home and I'm very, particularly in the last year because. I, this is the longest amount of time I've spent in Ireland since I was 18, 17. So having this much time here, I've just had so much time to fall in love with where I live and discover all these new places to, to spend time outside because that's all we've been able to do. <laughs> and uh, I've loved that. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, I think that's true of lots of us. I mean, we should probably get into it because it's, you know, overdone story now. But I think we've all had that opportunity to connect with where we live. Um it's interesting though because you've had the thing that you love, the other thing that you love doing, or the you know version A. You've had that stripped out and taken away from you. How has that been? Um, shit. Uh, <laughs> it's been pretty bad. Um, it's been weird because when it first started, um, you know when COVID first hit, I literally did a gig with Jamie Cullum on the Monday, and then on Thursday. The whole, the whole world, it seemed like, went into lockdown. And I was due to go on a tour starting like a week later that was going to be like a three-week tour and then I had a week off and then I had another month tour and then I had a week off. Like it was, I had worked so unbelievably hard for the guts of a decade to have the type of year that I was supposed to have last year. It was going to be a great year financially. It was going to be tons of shows. I had like 120 something gigs throughout the year. They were big, big stages, big tours, huge opportunities, releasing two albums. Like it was the biggest year for my career so far. And then, you know, COVID hit and I was like, surely, you know, this will just be like two weeks off. Like everybody thought I was like, oh, great. Two weeks rest. And then I'll be out there. It'd be grand. I probably could do with two weeks rest to be fair. And, uh, you know, here we are. But I had the, I still managed, I had one of the most difficult years of my life on a personal level. Um, that had nothing to do with COVID. I, um, my dad has a neurological condition, which is terminal. And, um, we've been kind of dealing with that for a few years, but last year was particularly hard um I went through a a really really hard breakup um of you know a lot of that I've been with a guy for seven years and there was a lot of like turmoil even on top of those two things in that in you know in 2020 and then a pandemic on top of it and actually I'm so grateful that all of that shit in my personal life happened when I couldn't avoid it because if I was on tour I'd be distracted I'd be running around doing a million things and I'd be able to avoid all of those feelings whereas instead of avoiding them I had to sit with them and I had to address them and I had to process them and I had to understand so much more about myself and my life and what I wanted and you know it made me question everything like down to just everything actually but you know made me question my career a lot 
Like, do I still want this? Or am I just in autopilot because it's what I decided I wanted as a six-year-old? Like, do I still want to do this? Am I happy? Do I want to live in Ireland? Like, do I just so many things? And I ended up having one of the most formative years ever. Like, I think I grew as a person exponentially in the past 18 months and I never would have done that had I had it not been for the pandemic because I had to face a lot of crap and I'm really fortunate now that you know through all of that I actually ended up just hugely um growing and developing as an artist and completely changing directions sonically and I've got new material coming out now that is polar opposite to anything I've ever done before. Um, I'm working with a new team. We're being we're pitching to different labels and publishers and we're touring new locations. And um, I'm writing for massive artists and I had a huge Netflix sync and just all these really great things came from this period of completely reevaluating and been like, hold on. Like, it's so easy to be an autopilot when you're busy. And I've just been busy. And I stopped and I was like, have I been busy with shit that's actually important? Or have I just been busy because I've made myself busy because that's what we're made to believe we're supposed to do in this world where everyone's busy? <laughs> For what reason, you know? And uh, I took so much time to to answer some some questions that needed to be answered and to address some things that weren't making me happy. And I completely reinvented my career. And now I'm seeing, I'm starting to see, and I will see over the next 12 months, the fruits of that, because the new songs are a totally new direction. And, and I literally only got the masters back today. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I know. Exciting. Um, and so I've got these new songs coming out that so far the response is incredible. And I'm so excited to see where, where my career goes now because I've taken that time to reevaluate. So in this really weird, messed up way, I'm so grateful for that time because I, I think it's been, it's been the best thing that could have happened for me personally and for my career. But there's so much to unpack there and I'll probably like leave <laughs> leave a lot of it alone for your sake because I, I don't know, I can relate to lots of it and I reson lots of it resonates with me, but the busy thing, I mean, it's so easy to be a busy fool. I think that's something I learned over the years and, you know, you sum it up really, really well. Like, am I just busy because it feels good? It feels like progress, but actually I'm just treading water. Um. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with making the best of a bad situation. Like last year was a rough year. The start of this year has been a rough year for so many people. But making the best of something bad, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And it's look, I think that's not I am um, the type of person that when I'm faced with a challenge, I will run at it head first. I am like, I and that's just who I am. And it, it comes from my parents. That's the kind of people they are. That's my coping mechanism. 
Whereas for some other people, their coping mechanism throughout COVID was the opposite. They buried their head and that's okay. Like whatever you needed to do to get through the past 18 months and whatever shit was thrown at you, like whatever way you dealt with that is, is good for you. And I think this whole thing that people are like, oh, if you didn't come out of COVID and this pandemic learning a new fucking language or whatever, like screw that. That is such bullshit. Like we, everybody needed to do what they needed to do to get by and that's it. And I hate that it was, there was this pressure on people. Um, but we, all feel this pressure to be constantly busy and improving ourselves and like one of the things that I hate the most is this thing of like people bragging about being constantly tired or bragging about not getting up enough sleep or I'm like oh my god like (laughs) stop it because then you're making everybody feel like they're not doing enough or they're not being enough or um we live in a world of comparison and it's it's not healthy. Um, so I think a lot of people had like a, a, a kind of reboot button in the last year to, to find out what's actually important to them and, and what they actually want moving forward. And I hope that, that, I hope that we see that change, that people get more control over their schedules, that they can work from home a bit more, that you know, for me, I've been doing, I've been riding with musicians all over the world over Zoom and it's been amazing. I don't have to fly to London to work with people for a week and that's going to stick around. So I hope that some of the, some of the changes that have been good things for people actually stay around and we don't go back into this mad world where everyone's just run off their feet all the time. Yeah. I Again, it all resonates. It is hard. You just, <laughs> You only feel like you're keeping up. And yeah. I suppose I'm guilty of both sides. Like I'm guilty of making myself look busy on the internet because that's a really good thing for people to think, you know. Oh, me and equally, too. Yeah, I want everyone to think I'm busy and successful and moving at a thousand miles an hour, you know. But I don't want them to know that. I watched three episodes of The Handmaid's Tale in a row over the weekend. I don't want them knowing that. Oh, but it's you know? so good though. <laughs> it's, really good. it's so good. <laughs> um yeah exactly and so how do you do you have the same issues with the running with the comparisons like we talked before I press record like are you a runner are you a runner (laughs) do you get to be a runner do you get the badge oh stop um yeah it's a funny one because I feel like there's such a there's such an ego around it's like the it's like the sea swimming this year in Ireland Everybody got into sea swimming and then everyone else was like, well, I was into it years ago. And it's like, why does it matter? <laughs> and I think there can be, there can be a big snobbery around running in a weird way. Um, but I, I think after, uh, after a good, you know, 15 years of running, I can hopefully say that I have some form of badge. <laughs> I love it. I, you know, I ebb and flow with it. I when I was twenty three, I think I did my first marathon in Madrid, and then I did the London marathon the year after. And I, after that, kind of transitioned away from doing road marathons, and I I did, um, more off road, 
endurance races um I was training like I mentioned for the Wicklow Way which is you can do it over as long as you want I was planning on doing it over three days which is a marathon a day for three days but it's you know proper on on trails and up and down mountains um but I sprained my ankle so that's kind of been set back for by a few weeks but I definitely I will ebb and flow out of how much I'm running um and I you know this I'm a better person when I run more put it that way (laughs) it served me well um and I just love it so much and but I but I also love you know trying new things and I kind of I guess that's why I ebb and flow of how out of how much running I'm doing um so last year I was training for this uh basically this like seven day endurance tv show that uh, I can't mention but (laughs) it was bonkers it was bananas it was all like things I'd never done before so I ended up last year and I I signed up for it because I was like why not I'm not gigging this is like the only year that I'm going to get to do this if I really want to and when somebody says to me like would you like to try this absolutely crazy thing that's going to scare you to death and you might get hurt really badly I'm like I'm in where do I sign I would love to try because I love just I guess testing what I'm how much I'm able for and and that feeling of just you feel so alive when you're on the edge like that you know um and so I said yes naturally and I remember the fitness test for this show was like you had to do 10 pull-ups in a row and I'd never been able to do one pull-up in my life you know upper body strength is tough as a woman and I was like right I have like I think I had like three weeks (laughs) to train for it like how am I going to do 10 pull-ups in three weeks I didn't manage it by the way I managed one um but somehow I passed the fitness test anyway they must have just liked my my non-stop chatter and but my training for like four or five months was you know climbing up the side of mountains with 20 kilos on my back and um rock climbing boxing rope climbing heavy weights loads of running like just, I was doing, you know, two hours, three hours a day training. Um, saw my physio every week and he was just like, oh my God, what have you done to yourself now? Like, <laughs> Just always hurting myself. But it, I loved it so much. And it was because I was just finding out what I was actually capable of. Um, and that for me is like, it's like a drug. I just I love that stuff and I want more of that stuff I think my biggest challenge in life is that's it's definitely not my biggest challenge in life that's completely incorrect a challenge in my life is having enough time to fit everything in that I actually want to do and because I would love to have two and three hours a day to explore and run and hike and climb and like swim I'm, I'm by the sea at the moment and you know be able to go down there and swim every day and but I'm also in tour preparation at the moment and you can see my keyboard here beside me I'm you know six or seven hours of that a day and I'm in meetings and I'm in songwriting sessions and I'm recording and I'm I get to the end of the day and I'm like damn it 
<laughs> I, you know, still trying to fit everything in. But I think most people are are like that too, particularly when it comes to endurance. You have to like try and fit it around an already busy schedule. How does all of this play out with the music then? Does are the, the fitness and the music separate things or is there a crossover? I think for a really long time I thought they were. And then I realized that I use my my running in particular as a creative tool. And like I am constantly buzzing with creative ideas, particularly the last 18 months I've been writing, you know, so many songs, my God, like, you know, three, four new songs every week. And so when you're in that kind of creative mode, your brain is just like firing off ideas all the time. And so it doesn't make for a very good pace because... (laughs) I'll be like voice noting my ideas mid run. <laughs> I'll be like singing mid run. So I'm definitely not in sprint. Do you do that too? <laughs> yeah. My phone. And then I listen back to them. And I'm like, God, who is that guy? I sound like I've taken something. It's yeah. <laughs> it's the natural high. It is. Um, yeah. Like I will, I'll use my running so much and I'll do it a lot with walking as well, which is obviously easier. Cause you know, voice notes when you're walking a bit easier, but, um, like I will take like, <laughs> I'll take like work calls and I'll time them with a walk. I'll just be like, right. I gotta, gotta talk to my manager and I know this is going to take 45 minutes. So I'll just plan a 45 minute walk around this call rather than pacing my house and doing the same thing, you know? Um, So I try and do that as much as I can, just so I'm outside and I'm not stuck staring at a screen all the time. Um, But yeah, when I run, I like at the moment, um, I was just saying I got the masters back for the songs, which is basically like the mastered version, the final version that'll be released. Um, Through the mixing process, which takes about six weeks, you've got mixes coming back at you every day which is like the balance that you want in the song and the arrangements and stuff and um that's a really lengthy process and it's a really time consuming but like you need so much focus you need to listen to the mixes on like multiple devices and it's a really um it's finicky it's like it's my least favorite part of of the like you've done all the recording, you've done all the pr- production, you've done all the the arranging, the mixing is like EQing and compression and all these kind of technical things that I just, my brain kind of switches off then. <laughs> so I listen to the mixes a lot when I run because I'm present and it's like I hear different things then. It's like, um, I don't know, I'm more in the zone of the song or something um and then when it comes to further ideas about those songs like I have mapped out entire music videos on a run and entire set lists and entire like productions and lighting and how the stage is going to be and who the band like what the band are going to play and like how this is going to all map out in a live set like I will do all of that on a run and then I'll be like (laughs) leaving 
the band a voice note or leaving my manager a voice note or le- like all of these ideas coming out all the time. And I could have gone, I could have started that run being like, oh, I feel so lethargic and I'm not in the mood for this. And I, oh my God, I don't want to work today. And I'm so over these, just this whole process. And maybe I should just become a mechanic or something. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, by the end of the run, I'm like ideas flowing. Um, So I think I've only really capitalized on that recently. Um, Before I kind of always thought, that's just something I do that, that running fitness thing and the music is just something I do and they don't intertwine. And in the last year in particular, but, but in the, over the last few years, like I've really realized the benefits of that for me creatively and what it can bring to the table. Um, and you know, it's free and it's so good for my mind. And it's like, all of these amazing benefits and it helps me be creative i mean hello i will take that every day <laughs> yeah it's just sometimes you gotta put up with the mist and the rain and the oh yeah um, there's um alistair humphreys the sort of adventurer author um he i think he might have said it on the podcast with me actually but he said that he has a rule which is he has to run to the end of his road if he gets to the end of his road and he wants to go home and give up, he's very welcome to every time. And he says that maybe one in a hundred, he goes home. But it's such a good rule because then, you know, I don't know, half the time I don't want to go out. And I think, no, Al Humphreys would say, I've got to run to the end of my road. And I go out and I go, oh, this is really good. Look how excited the dog is. And actually, I already feel good. Oh, my God, that's such a good rule. I'm going to adopt that as well. Thanks, Al. Yeah, thanks, Al. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, amazing you've had a tough year and it's been difficult in lots of ways um you know that you've described are you excited for what's to come now yeah very 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 um i feel i feel really ready for i feel a little bit bulletproof which is hilarious because I'm totally not. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of moments where I'm going to crumble. But I think I feel like I've learned so much more about myself in the last year that I'm very, it's, it'll like, particularly in my career, it'll take a lot to shake me because I have recognized that it's not the most important thing. I love it. I love what I do so much. I want to do it forever. The music I create, you know, there it's it means the world to me. But it's not everything. And that's actually such a good thing to have realized because I've spent I'm 31 now. I spent my whole 20s thinking music was everything and if I didn't get what I wanted from it and if I didn't play the venues I wanted and work with the people I wanted and get the record deal I wanted that I'd failed and that I'd you know not reached my potential and that I you know just the yeah that I'd failed and now I'm like that's daft 
I wake up every day and I love what I do. I love it. I love the people I work with. I love that on a Monday morning I can wake up at seven o'clock and by 3 p.m. there's a new song written that never existed before today. And that is amazing to me. Um, And I love that it's a lifelong education. I will never know everything about music. I will never be the best. There'll always be people better than me. And I'm always learning and I'm always growing and I'm all, and I'm excited about that. But I guess understand learning and understanding that like it's more important that I take time with the people that I love and that I um spend time in nature and that my mind is healthy and that I get enough rest and eat well and like oh, like that all of that is intertwined that it's not just this blindsided you know one directional thing that my life is constantly gonna go pew 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 and I'm, I don't know which way it's gonna go next I have no idea and so I suppose in that acceptance I feel a bit bulletproof and I feel ready for whatever is gonna come at me and I feel you know very confident in my new material. I feel really excited to play some gigs and showcase what I've been working on. And I feel more revved up than ever. Like I'm saying things to uh, my team about like what I want to achieve in the next three to five years. And they're like, geez, Meg, that's ballsy. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's going to happen. It's what I want. It's going to happen because I'm going to work harder than anybody else to make that happen. And I will get, I will get there. I will have those things. I will achieve those things because I'm willing to work so unbelievably hard for them. Um, so I'm really excited about all of that. And I just, I guess I'm, uh, I'm more patient. I've never been a patient person, <laughs> but I'm a little bit more patient now. I'm a bit more like, well, I'm just going to keep working until I get there. If that takes a year or two years or three years or five years, that's okay. Because I think the thing I've learned over, you know, the loss and grief I've experienced in the last year is that there's no such thing as a timeline for your life. It doesn't matter. Like there's no, I should have done this by this age and I should have this at this age. And I thought I'd be here at this age. Like it doesn't matter. It's all, we're all on our own timelines. And so just, I suppose, accepting that and and being comfortable in that has been a huge thing for me. That's a very lovely sentiment and a nice way to, I guess, draw it to a close. Um, Well, I have two questions that I always ask people at the end. One, no pressure. What scares you? Um, not achieving my full potential in life in general. That's the scariest thing, I think. To yours, is it intrinsic to yourself or to others? Oh, no, 100% to myself. Like, yeah, I've got so many things that I want to do while I'm here and probably far too many 
but you know a lot of them are unimportant <laughs> but you know a lot of the ones that are really important to me um i fear not not feeling everything not achieving achieving is the wrong word achieving sounds like they're kind of goals and they're not all goals they're just things i want to i want to experience in life my last question is what brings you hope good people good people bring me hope um i have been i've met so many good people in my life and in particular in the last year when going through a difficult time like people are just class people are great <laughs> there's so many good people and uh i think i'm i'm really fortunate in my life i i'm just surrounded by wonderful human beings that um give me hope in everything like that are just there when you need advice and you need a bit of help and you need a bit of a pick-me-up or you need a glass of wine or you need to go for a run or you need whatever you need help with your gear or like just there's just great people in the world and uh it's it's crap that we're always surrounded by bad news and by you know the minority ruining it for the majority so um i'm gonna give this award for hope to the people <laughs> oh look at that lovely <laughs> on behalf of the people i accept ace that was brilliant thank you so much oh, amazing that was really great matt thanks so much loved it Thanks for listening. For more information, visit theadventurepodcast.co.uk. The podcast is produced in association with Sidetrack magazine. And for that extra adventure fix, head over to sidetrack.com. And if you can find two minutes to leave us a review on iTunes, they make the world of difference.